Open up your Bibles, Joshua chapter 6, Joshua chapter 6. Last month, I read the story of a town in south-central France called La Chambon. Here's a map of where La Chambon is located. You see there, south-central France. Philip Halley, in his book, Lest Innocent Blood Be Shed, I commend it to you, um, he writes the storyline about how this one town made a decision during World War II to shelter and protect any Jew that would enter their town. Now you understand at this time, it was a Nazi-controlled area. France had already been taken over. Even the French police and French government were under Nazi control. So it was, it was at great risk to their own lives to publicly declare that any Jew that would enter and walk into Le Chambon would find a place of refuge. They would not be turned away. And so Philip Halley writes this book to kind of dig into what was it that led this one community to make such a bold declaration and faithfully carry it out. And his conclusion was this. The core of the answer has to do with the local church in Le Chambon, which was literally and figuratively at the center. Here's a picture of the local church. So Philip Halley says, the answer to the question, how did Le Chambon get to that point? He said, it's the local church with its local pastor. That's Pastor Andre, his wife Magda Trokmi, and their four children. So it's the church and its pastor and its congregation, who in the midst of World War II and all that was going on there, Pastor Andre was keeping a vision for the heart of Jesus before a group of people in his local gathering, and they concluded together that if Jesus were placed in a situation like they found themselves in, they're doing what they believe Jesus would do. When Philip interviewed some of the surviving members of that community on how and why did you do this? One of the responses he commonly heard was, well, isn't this what any Christian would do? Now, don't misunderstand. There were lots of folks all through Europe individually who may have been protecting Jews, like Corrie ten Boom and her storyline. There were organizations at work to try to stop this atrocity that was going on. But there was only one city that history documents in all of Europe that did what Le Chambon did. One. And the conclusion is because there was a church and a pastor and a congregation who believed that they should be a city of refuge because that's what Jesus would want them to be, no matter the cost. So here's a picture of some of those Jews that were rescued. About 5,000 mainly children can you picture that? 5,000 children who found their way to Le Chambon. In other words, they ran away from the Nazi trains that were loading up the Jews, taking them to concentration camps to their eventual death. Mainly children would escape. Parents would send off their kids, sometimes siblings together, many times children alone. Can you picture them arriving cold, tired, scared, and knocking on the door of the church in Le Chambon? Saying, hey, we heard you will take care of us. 
and Pastor Andre and his wife and their congregation opened the doors and said, yes, please come in. There are 5,000 approximately, so Philip Halley got to interview some of the surviving members and tell some of those stories in the book about what happened to their lives, right? They eventually grew up, married, had their own kids, and generations progressed on. Well, he himself went to the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem, and he said he walked down the long corridor. I've not been to that museum, but if any of you, there's a long corridor, he said. He said at the end of the long corridor, which was to represent the darkness of all that happened during that era, he said there was a room at the end of that corridor. The title of the room was A Room for Heroism and Hope. And it was to portray where were the rays of light shining into all this darkness. And when he walked into that room, you want to guess who had a large piece of real estate in the room of heroism and hope at the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem? The village of Le Chambon with its church and its pastor and its congregation. So this morning, I want to talk about what does it mean for us to affect change in our world? To be a modern-day version of what the village of Le Chambon was to the Jews in World War II. And I want to do that by looking at two walls in Scripture. One wall that needs to be torn down, and another wall that needs to be built up. Because to affect change in our world, I believe there's going to be a breaking down of walls and building walls. Break them and build them. It's going to be a both and. And the first one I'll look at is Joshua chapter 6. We're going to call this the Jericho walls. And as you see, God says these must come down. So the context of Joshua 6 is God's told his people, you need to go and inherit this long-awaited promised land. There were cities who weren't very welcoming to the Israelites' presence. So they would walk up to the cities, and they walked up to this one city named Jericho, and it didn't look like they had rolled out the welcome mat. See verse 1, chapter 6. Now Jericho was tightly shut up. Some of your translations might say securely barred because of the Israelites. Huh. Why were they securely barred? Because of the Israelites who were coming to town. No one went out, and no one came in. So here's a picture of what surrounded Jericho. Here's the size of the walls. Approximately 26 feet high, about 6 feet wide, two-tiered wall system around the city. Do you see on that little artist rendering, do you see the size of the people way down there? So that's the Israelites walking up to the city. And here's what God says to them. Verse 2. Then the Lord said to Joshua, their leader, see I have delivered Jericho into your hands. <laughs> Anybody else struck by this? Along with its king and its fighting men. Anybody else struck by the verb tense God uses there? God says, see, you're standing at the base of the 26-foot-high, two-tiered wall, securely barred, tightly sealed. See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Anybody else thinking God's seeing beyond the wall? And perhaps Joshua and the Israelites are looking upon the wall? 
Anybody else been there when you walk up to a 26 foot whatever barrier you've got going on in your life, six foot thick, and you walk up and you're just staring upon the wall and you, you hear God's whisper, you come into a worship service together, you get in his word, you get in the prayer room and you hear that whisper of the spirit that Joshua hears say, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Like, what? See, there's a big difference than when you're focused upon the wall then when you get God's perspective and you look beyond the wall. Are you tracking with me? See, when you look upon the wall, here's what we're gonna be overwhelmed with. You're just fixated like the Israelites no doubt were. Probably, can you picture Joshua's like leadership court meeting that, that day? Like, hey, Joshua, Joshua comes and, hey, God says, city's ours. God's already delivered it to us. We just need to go take it. And they're like, Joshua, have you checked out the size of those walls? There's 26 feet tall, there's six feet wide, there's two of them, and there's not like a little nook to get through. It's sealed, Joshua. They're just focused on the circumstances, and when you get focused just on your own 26-foot high circumstances, here's what fills our vocabulary. It's filled with doubt and negativity and cynicism, and you whisper the no way often. You go, no way, there's just no way, Lord. No way I can see how I'm going to get through what I'm going through. That's when we're looking upon the wall. And then God steps into the scene and you get linked up with him and he helps lift your eyes up to look beyond the wall. And what happens when you look beyond the wall? Do the circumstances change? No. Guess what's still there for Joshua and the Israelites? The wall is still there. It's still plenty thick and high and two-tiered. What's different? They and their perspective are beyond it. And that's the work, right? That's one of the blessings of getting together every seven days as a body. You know, sometimes that happens to us in our weeks. Sometimes Monday through Saturday is like laying bricks about 26 feet high. And then you come in on Sunday morning and through song or scripture or silence or messages, you go, God lifts your eyes up and he lets you see beyond the wall. And then you leave, okay, Lord, I'm ready to go into another week. The wall still might be there, but what changes is our perspective in it. Are you with me in this? So here's, here's a wall. Here's God saying, look beyond it. And this is what he often does when he wants to deal with the wall. He is going to bring this wall down. But have you noticed this with God? He likes to involve us in the process of his work. You know, God could just in a moment wipe this wall out. The God of Genesis 1 who made this world and everything in it, do you think he's overly concerned about how he's going to bring these walls down? Come on now. I mean, if you strolled around the globe lately, have you flown over the Rockies or the Alps? And you just say, the God who put all this together, he's not wringing his hands on how the walls are going to come down. He's just choosing to use his people in the process because he wants to develop his people in the process of carrying out his work. So he says, hey, Joshua, here's what I want you to do. Check out this leadership strategy. Check out this military strategy. Get the pastors together. Get the Ark of the Covenant and get the worship leaders, like the band members together, especially those who play the trumpet. Get all them together, get the Ark out, and start walking around the wall once a day for six days. And then on the seventh day, do that seven times. And can you picture all the military guys like waiting, their, their pens are out like, uh, okay, got it, got it, that's it. You want pastors and like, Musicians to lead this deal? Yep. He's involving the people in the process. So here we are. We're picking it up. Verse 15. On the seventh day, 
They got up at daybreak, marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except on that day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, which would have been how many total laps for the week? The 13th lap around the wall, right? Six for the first six days and now seven on the seventh day. So the 13th lap of the pastors and the musicians leading the processional around the wall, by now the generals and the four-star whoever's are probably long since camped out on the side, probably putting together plan B on this scene. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. How about that line? In verse 1... Joshua is probably a little bit fixated on the wall. By verse 16, he's got his eyes looking beyond the wall. You see that? Joshua's like, shout, the Lord's given us this city. So he's gone from just looking upon the wall. Now he's looking beyond the wall. In verse 20, when the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in. And they took the city. Now back up in verse 17, I want you to look at the only named resident we have of Jericho is Rahab. Look at the one citizen we know who lived in Jericho. Rahab the prostitute. And all who were with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies that we sent. So the one citizen in Jericho that we know their name is a woman named Rahab with an occupation of a prostitute who hid Joshua sent in some spies to kind of scout out the land, and she protected them. So in response to that, hey, we'll watch it. We'll protect you. Rahab, you'll be saved. And the walls come down, and the people of God march in, and Rahab and her family are saved. So here's what I want you to think about with Jericho walls. Jericho walls, here's what they represent. They represent the walls that isolate, separate, and intimidate. That's what Jericho walls are about. Jericho walls are made up of self-righteousness and spiritual pride. It's Jericho walls that say you're not good enough, spiritual enough, clean enough to be around us. It's Jericho walls that God says, hey, if you're going to affect real change in this world, follow me here now, if you're going to affect real change in this world, then these Jericho walls in Jesus' name must come down they've got to come down the walls that isolate and separate and intimidate walls of spiritual pride walls of spiritual elitism walls of self-righteousness walls that look at the world and say you're not good enough smart enough whatever enough spiritual enough clean enough to be in on our whatever enough that mindset that's gotta go walls that keep the Rahabs out that's got to go. Are you following me? Jericho walls have got to come down. The first thought in our world today, when someone hits the place where they need help in life, do you know what should come right in the next breath? I'm going to find a church to get some help. Do you know that should be normal? Church, do you know what our core business we're in as a church? We're helping people. That's what we're supposed to do. All people, everywhere. No matter what's going on, of course, spiritual help and emotional help and relational help and financial help, physical help, whatever help is needed. 
that when I say, hey, I need some help, that the church should be a city of refuge, much like Le Chambon was in the middle of France in World War II and the circumstances they found themselves in. It's like, hey, if these folks need help and they're walking up to our doors, we are going to, in Jesus' name, be a city of refuge and open our doors and say, we want to help you. Le Chambon tore those walls of Jericho down. Well, believe you me, there are a whole bunch of churches building walls, <laughs> building them Jericho walls up when Hitler was running all through Europe. But there's one church in the middle of France who said, in Jesus' name, those walls are coming down. We're not going to isolate, intimidate, separate, no more self-righteousness, no more spiritual pride, no more looking down our noses about you're not whatever enough, no more shutting the Rahabs out. We're going to make sure the lost, the lonely, the overlooked, the broken can find refuge here. Because we are a body that bears the name of Jesus, so the Jericho walls must come down. Now, in combination with that, we're going to have to do some building. We break some walls and we build some walls if we're going to affect change in this world. So we break down the Jericho walls and now flip over to Nehemiah chapter 2. I want you to get a picture of the kind of walls that need to be built up. Several hundred years fast forward with the people of God. They move into the city of Jerusalem. They built up quite a wall around the city of Jerusalem to the tune of two miles or so. Ted, can you put the picture up there of the Jerusalem wall? So there's the wall that they built around the city, about two miles in length all the way around, 50 feet in height, 10 to 15 feet thick. That's the Jerusalem walls that were built around the city. In the year 586, the Babylonians came in and wanted to capture the Israelite people, uproot and deport them 700 miles east to modern-day Iraq, to Babylon. So they came in. What do you think they destroyed first? The walls. They made those walls like a pile of rubble. Burned the gates, blasted the walls, because then they could get into the city and capture the people and shipped them off 700 miles into the middle of Iraq. Seventy years, they occupied that space. The city looked terrible. The temple was ransacked. People were gone, and in the midst of that, God called a man named Nehemiah. Nehemiah, I've got a project for you. I'm sending you back to that city to rebuild what's been broken down. Verse 11, Nehemiah 2, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate, through the jackal wall, and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem. How would you like to be the crew in charge of the dung gate? That would have been a good one, huh? Hey, your responsibility is to keep that dung gate looking good and running well. They were examining the walls which had been broken down, its gates which had been destroyed by fire. Verse 14, then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool. There was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up by the valley by, the valley by night examining the wall. So he's going through, what's he doing? He's examining the scene. He's seeing all that's broken down. And now jump down to verse 17 and 18. Then I said, 
after he examines, takes note of what's going on, he says, gets the people together. He says, you see the trouble we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said to me. So you see what Jerusalem walls represent? If Jericho walls represented what to separate and intimidate and isolate, Jerusalem walls represented a blessing and a protection. They helped the people maintain their identity as the children of God. That's what the walls of Jerusalem were intended to be. Think of Jerusalem walls today like fulfilling 1 Peter 2.9. We're to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Then we have to build up the Jerusalem walls to maintain our identity as a people of God. Just as sure as the Jericho walls that isolate, intimidate, and separate must come down, the Jerusalem walls must be built up strongly, maintaining our identity on who are we as a people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're a children of God. You belong to the Most High God. This is who you are. It's your walls of blessing and protection. So practically, like, what does that look like today? What does it mean to build up Jerusalem walls today. It's what we do like on Sunday mornings. Do you know part of what happens on Sunday mornings? It's like an indexing of our lives to the kingdom of God. Like when Brad led us through some time of silence and stillness. For some of us this week, that might have been the most you've been quiet or still in all your 168 hours. Or there's a chorus and a worship song that really hits you deep in your soul and something happens, you get indexed to the kingdom of God or something in a message or a prayer or a conversation in the atrium, your life gets indexed to the kingdom of God and you walk out. What happens? It's the liturgies of the church that help build up the walls of Jerusalem. It's the teaching of God's word that builds up the walls of Jerusalem, that we're gonna teach the scriptures We're not going to let our teaching get blown around by the culture around us, kind of tossed about by the wind and the ways of the culture. No, we're going to teach God's word, God's way for God's glory. That's how we build up the walls of Jerusalem. We're going to sing songs that are rooted in God's character that remind us of our identity. We're going to put structures in places at church that facilitate the spiritual development of people. Why? Because we've got to build walls and break them. We gotta build walls and break them. Do you see the danger? If you just break down a whole bunch of Jericho walls and you don't do any work of building Jerusalem walls, what's the danger there? The danger is you start busting down a bunch of Jericho walls and the danger is if you don't build up any Jerusalem walls that help with identity and protection and depth and understanding of who you are, you know what happens? Is There's the blurring of the cultural values and the values of the children of God. All you got to do is trace the Old Testament storyline to see how this happened. Why God was always trying to tell them, hey, when you go into that land, make sure you don't get wound up with their gods and goddesses and their high places and all that. What was all that about? He says, hey, you got to build the Jerusalem walls up. Absolutely tear down those Jericho walls. You got to go after those Canaanites, help them see the glory of God, but don't start intermarrying and intermingling. You see that? So the danger is if you just tear down the Jericho walls and you don't have any Jerusalem walls, the cultural values just kind of start 
covering up the values of God's people. And if you want like a trajectory of where that goes, just look at the spiritual climate of Europe today. Unbelievable cathedrals. Many of you have visited the beauty of the glory of God, the history of worship there. And now you pay a few pounds to go into a museum. How did that happen? Jericho walls got tore down. Jerusalem walls didn't get built up. And then the culture took the whole thing over. It became a museum. Well, what's the danger if you just build up Jerusalem walls and don't tear down Jericho walls? What's the danger there? We become a health club for spiritual elitists. You just get together and you're, you're right, the, oh, the walls are way up. You're not letting any Rahab near here. You just kind of get in your holy huddle, right? And this is the New Testament character for this is the Pharisees. So you become a Pharisaical community who looks down their nose at everyone else. You've got the stripes on, you've got the whistle and the flag, and you want to look at everyone else's life and point out what's wrong with everyone else, and you lose the large two-by-four plank in your own eye. If you just build up Jerusalem walls and you don't tear down any Jericho walls, then you just become this kind of inward-focused, self-righteous, spiritually prideful, pharisaical community of spiritual elitism. And we're not lacking for those examples around North American landscape. And that's where you're holding up a protest sign about any and everything that you think needs to be protested in Jesus' name, and you forgot all about tearing down Jericho Wall. You just want to build up them Jerusalem walls. So church, are you tracking with me? There's two walls here. It's a both and. We got to tear down the Jericho walls in Jesus' name. Those walls that isolate, intimidate, and separate. We got to say to this world, no matter how broken, how lost, no matter what you've wandered into, no matter how long you've wandered into there, anyone at any time in any situation can find a city of refuge in Jesus' name here. That's got to happen. If we're going to affect change in this world, this is the kind of change Jesus had in mind when he went to the cross and he rose from the dead and he sent his Holy Spirit and he said to the believers, get together. You know what he had in mind? Le Chambon in the middle of France. When Nazi Germany's running the show, guess who stood up? The church of Jesus stood up. And guess what the gates of hell couldn't prevail against? You want to read it? Read that book and find out what Pastor Andre and Magda in that local church. It was hard. And there were gut-wrenching moments, but they wouldn't cave because they built up the Jerusalem walls Sunday after Sunday in their small groups, in their prayer rooms, in their worship gatherings. Man, they laid some bricks on those Jerusalem walls. They understood who they were. The trellis of their spiritual life was solid. They were in the word. They understood what Jesus had called them to, and they knew it wasn't going to be easy, and they captured his heart and said, hey, if Jesus made a city of refuge for me, how dare I slam the door in this young Jewish child's face, even if my life has to be given up? Isn't that what Jesus did for us? Isn't that what all Christians would do, was their conclusion? How challenging is that? That's our call. A modern-day Le Chambon, what Le Chambon was in France in World War II, Eagle Church is to be in Whitestown, Indiana in 2017. Well, say, practically, how's this going to look? Well, if you were with us this week in our prayer nights, we got a real front row seat to how this is looking around here. 
I'm super encouraged about our building walls and breaking them. As a church, we say we're about three things around here. Encourage me by repeating them, please. Discipleship, missions, next generation. What are we gonna do around here as a church? We're gonna do those three things. In the terminology of today, discipleship is building Jerusalem walls. You tracking with me? That's what our discipleship is. It's keeping our identity, 1 Peter 2, 9. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're a person who belongs to God. So put your roots down deep into him. Understand who you are in Christ. Be a beacon of light. Be a city on a hill. Be strong, steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work. That's our discipleship stuff. That's building up Jerusalem walls. What's missions? Missions is tearing down Jericho walls. We're gonna say to every Rahab on this planet, Jesus has not given up on you. He didn't give up on me. He's not given up on you. I don't care what you've wandered into. I don't care how long you've wandered there. I don't care how many other places have told you Jesus has given up on you. We, as a church body, are going to proclaim to this world, Jesus has not given up on you. His grace is sufficient even for you, even if you've given up on you, even if your families have given up on you, even if other churches have given up on you. We are not going to give up on you. That's our missions work. And what's next generation? Gang, we got to start that as early as possible. We got to have our kids grow up. They got to get a vision of what? Building walls and breaking them in Jesus' name. Our kids got to get this vision. So I'm so fired up when student ministry goes off to Guatemala and does a mission trip, or they're going to inner city Chicago this summer. What's all that about? Building walls and breaking them. You start young. So when they get to these places, right, there's only one paradigm they have. Le Chambon, middle of France, World War II, Jews, that's us. Whitestown, Indiana, Eagle Church, 2017. We're gonna build some walls and we're gonna break them in Jesus' name. That's what we're here for. That's what Allie King and Danny Marquez are doing in inner city Youth for Christ City Life on the near west side. What are they doing? Building walls and breaking them. We're helping them. What do you think Adam Talent and Indy Alliance on the near east side at Fountain Square? Do you think there are any walls to break through down there? They're building walls and breaking them down there. What do you think Dave and Don Rose with Teen Challenge and all the girls that worship with us week after week? What's going on at that house in Lebanon? Building walls and breaking them in Jesus' name. Safe families and all of our movement, right, to create a system where these kids who are just caught up in a broken system say, hey, you know what? What's safe families move? Well, build some walls and break them in Jesus' name. How about Petula? What's Petula doing in Sarajevo? She's building walls and breaking them. What's the Kenya team doing this morning over there in Kenya? What in the world are they doing with all those children? What are they? What's Remember New doing in 12 countries, 65 homes, 1,500 children, building walls and breaking them? Or how about Daryl and Cheryl Fennessy? Do you remember them when they were here last year? We got an update and we prayed for them on Friday night. How cool is this? So they were here in April. 200,000 Syrians, 200,000 Syrians got sent to Berlin. The whole issue with, you know, the refugee crisis. So those Syrians got sent to Berlin. The Phineses are Arab speaking. The Phineses get a phone call and say, hey, we got a couple hundred thousand Syrians in the middle of Berlin here. It's a crisis. Would you come? They were here in April. June 1st, they were in a suburb of Berlin. 
we kicked in some money. They created what they call a lighthouse in a suburb of Berlin. 200,000 Syrians, you think they had any walls to break through? This past, a week ago Friday, a young man named Mahad came to their lighthouse because they're doing the things kind of like Petula's doing, creating English language training and contact points, and Mahad came, and Daryl talked to him about Jesus, and he's the first known Syrian follower of Jesus in Berlin as of last Friday. Can you picture that? How cool is that? And so Daryl sent this, and we prayed for him on Friday, and I think, what in the world are Daryl and Cheryl Finnessy? Can you imagine what this Mohad, I was praying Friday night, Lord, raise Mohad up, may he become a pastor, raise him up, equip him, train him, send him as a spiritual leader into that harvest field, 200,000. What are the Finnessys doing in Berlin? They're building walls and breaking them. That's what Eagle Church, that's discipleship, missions, next generation. And you see the obvious overlap in the center of that? That's the immeasurably more life. And if you're settling for anything less than the center point of that, you're settling less than Jesus' best for walking out this life. I'm not involved with Jesus and his work of missions in this world because he needs me to be. I'm involved because I need to be. He can get done when he wants to get done in this world without me all just fine. I need it. I gotta be in the trenches. I wanna be there when we're walking around a Jericho wall and we started whispering no way and the next thing you know, the walls have crumbled at our feet when the people gave a shout. Do you wanna miss that? I don't wanna miss that. I wanna be right there. I wanna feel like a part of that in our prayers, in our giving, in our going, in our banding together. Many of you know Paul and Kate Keller. Kellers, are you here today? Paul and Kate, we prayed for them on Friday night. They're about to go to Sicily, Italy selling their house in Pike Township, going to Sicily, Italy. They have two young boys. We said, what are they going to do in Sicily, Italy? Do you know there's a massive wave of North African immigrants leaving the disaster that North Africa is these days? They're coming across the sea there, and they're landing on the shores of Sicily. Virtually none of them know the name of Jesus. Paul and Kate heard about this, said, we'll go. They're going to go and live right there. And the waves of these African immigrants are going to come. What are Paul and Kate going to do there? They're going to build walls and break them. And we're going to be a part of that. I can't think of anything bigger and better to give my life to. Do you? Discipleship, missions, next generation. Let's be what Le Chambon was in France in World War II. Let's be that in Jesus' name, 2017, Whitestown, Indiana. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for so many great people around here doing such great work. Thank you for the ways you've placed vision and passion in the hearts Thank you for the ways you provided resources and thank you for stories like Muad's salvation this week and thank you for petulous faithfulness and people like Allie and Danny and Dave and Don and others who just lay it on the line and thank you that as a body we get to be a part of all of that. And forgive us in any way personally or collectively we've slammed the door and not been the city of refuge you've wanted us to be. We just declare and covenant together that, Lord, by your grace, we want to see you use our body to break down some walls, break down those Jericho walls in Jesus' name, and then build up some Jerusalem walls in Jesus' name. Help us to effect real and lasting and eternal change in this world today and do it Jesus' way for Jesus' glory. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.
Well, the ushers are going to come. We got one final song.